Please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, where we have in Exodus 20, verse 15, the words, you shall not steal. Um, Our text this morning is this eighth commandment that God has given us. A way of illustration, according to a January 15, 1989 article in the Lexington Herald Leader, the family living in a home in West Palm Beach, Florida, told a film crew that it was okay to use the front lawn as a set for an episode of a television series. They knew cars would be crashing violently in front of the house. While the front yard was being blown up, the owner of the home was tipped off and called from New York, demanding to know what was happening to his property. It seems that the people who were living in the house were only tenants and had no right to allow the property to be destroyed as the cameras rolled. As I was thinking about that story, two particular words stuck out to me, the words only tenants. People living in that house were only tenants, and yet they figured they could do whatever they wanted with a house that wasn't really theirs. And isn't this a good illustration of how we, though we are mere stewards of God's creation, tend to act like we're the owners of this world and thus able to do with material things whatever we want. This illustration lays before us what is the main principle behind the Eighth Commandment, which is that we are stewards of what belongs to God. There are other principles that flow from that principle. As stewards, we must acquire God's wealth God's way. As stewards, we must be content with what God gives us. And contentment begins with knowing that everything we have is really on loan from God and that we don't have a natural right to anything of this world. In explaining the demands of the Eighth Commandment, which says you shall not steal, it's important to go beyond the mere external requirements and get to the main principles that God wants governing our lives. I hope you'll understand in the course of this sermon that the scope of this particular commandment is actually very far-reaching and has to do with our relationship to our material wealth. But before we get to the heart of the matter and deal in more depth with the principles involved, let's deal with some of the more obvious requirements of this commandment. So the Heidelberg Catechism says that With this commandment, God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. And then in the next question and answer, the answer says, I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the Eighth Commandment requireth the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others, and forbiddeth whatsoever doth or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward estate. So the Heidelberg begins with the most basic violation of this command, which is the kind of stealing and kind of theft that we normally think of, where a person takes something that he has no right to take. Comes to mind as the person shoplifting or the person 
uh, breaking in uh, into a home in order to steal jewels and electronics. We might think of the person robbing a bank or a mugger stealing a purse. These are obvious violations of the Eighth Commandment. And yet too often these blatant violations are considered the, you know, are, are the only ones really associated and considered to be a breaking of the Eighth Commandment. And the result is that most people who have never entered a bank wearing a ski mask or who have never shoplifted figure they have kept this commandment. The problem is that stealing is, can be more subtle than that. One form of stealing is by scheming or by tricks, like unjust weights. In biblical times, most business was conducted by barter, so people would carry weights in a bag so as to measure the weight of things bought and sold. And some had fraudulent weights. They would have an underweight set of weights for things sold and an overweight set of weights for things bought. This way, you could get more and your neighbor less than he expected. Though we still don't, we don't have that practice today of carrying around weights and bags, yet the same kinds of fraud in principle are still practiced today. That's why grocery store store scales and gas pumps are checked regularly by government officials for accuracy. It's because uh, the stores might rig them to their advantage. Today, many other subtle forms of fraud exist, like misleading advertising, Um, You've probably noticed certain ways of packaging products, uh, which makes you as the consumer think that you're getting more than you really are. Another form of stealing is sloth or laziness. It's a common sin that a person who is being paid by the hour wastes time on the job, takes a nap, for example, when no one is looking, or takes longer breaks than he's supposed to. And even when he works, he doesn't give his job the full attention and dedication and effort that he should. And there are some people who are so lazy that they will not work even though they could. They insist on having others take care of them, the government or the church or some other charitable institution. And yet the Bible says, if any would not work, neither should he eat. It's stealing when the government takes money from working people in order to fund the lives of those who will not work when they could. It's also a form of stealing when the government takes money from one group of working people and gives it to another group in order to more equally distribute wealth. It's one thing to pay taxes for those things that we all share in common, like roads and parks, and even to fund the operations of government. That money is about rendering to Caesar his due. But it's stealing when the government takes taxpayer money and uses it to help those who should be helping themselves. Always the perspective of scripture is that money is to be given voluntarily to those in need, out of love, from the heart. If I give money out of my own pocket to someone in need, out of the goodness of my heart, then it's a gift and can be rightly received. And when someone takes my money to help others, that money is not a gift of charity, it is plunder. And when a lazy person receives that stolen government welfare money, that person is participating in theft. It's a sinful use of anyone's money, including the churches, to help people who are poor because of their own choice not to work. In our charitable giving, it is not always easy to know whether or not a person is truly in need, which is why it takes great wisdom on the part of our 
deacons to do their work, to do those evaluations. Is this person truly in need? Scripture is clear that money must not be used to promote the sin of slothfulness. And as we consider these more subtle forms of stealing, the more we begin to see that the root of the problem really is that the human heart, the heart of each one of us, is by nature full of sinful greed and covetousness. Man by nature wants more and more of this world, and he will even steal to get it, because stealing is the quick and easy way to get what he wants. Even though stealing always means hurting others, it's natural to us to be thinking only of ourselves. And so when you stop and think about it, stealing really is grounded in selfishness. We're all by nature prone to steal because we selfishly covet material wealth. And remember that when we're dealing with the commandments of God, the wrong attitude that leads to a sinful action is itself sin, according to God. And through the Eighth Commandment, the Lord is calling you then to evaluate even your attitude toward material wealth And not only your attitude toward the wealth itself, but how you view your wealth in relation to God and your neighbor. This is a commandment that falls within the second table of the law, which is all about loving your neighbor as yourself, which includes respecting his earthly possessions. And as with all of the commandments, we must keep even this eighth commandment out of a love for God. I want to focus now on four different principles that are important as we seek to obey this commandment. And the first of those is that in, in, in overcoming our sinful tendency to steal, we need to realize and to acknowledge that God is the ultimate owner of all that exists. He's the creator. He is the sustainer of all things. Before this world existed, there was only God. And thus, when God called forth this creation by the word of his mouth, this creation was, in every sense of the word, his alone. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 89, 11, The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all its fullness, you have founded them. In Haggai 2, verse 8, we read, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. At the same time, the Lord has entrusted us with material wealth. In Genesis, soon after Adam and Eve were created, God tells them, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. And this same principle remains true after the fall. According to Acts 17.26, it is God who has given the various nations of the earth their various portions of wealth. According to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, it is God who gives people their different abilities, wherein uh, they gain wealth in different measures. Which leads us back to the basic principle behind the Eighth Commandment, which is that in relation to earthly wealth, we are to see ourselves as stewards of that which ultimately belongs to God. We have things, but we have them only because they are entrusted to us, entrusted to our care by God, which means then that we are not to misuse what ultimately belongs to God. So God entrusts his material things to each of us in certain degrees, And he does so in such a way that it is appropriate for us 
each one to speak of my things, my car, my house, my room, my clothes, my land, whatever it may be. You have possessions. Scripture clearly teaches the right to private, pop, to, to, uh, private property. In fact, the command to not steal is based on the right of private property. How can it be said that someone stole something from me if it doesn't belong to me? And it is for this reason and others that we as Christians must oppose the principles of communism and socialism, because basic to communism and socialism is the idea that private ownership must give way to the collective good. And essential to those systems is that those who are rich are required to give what is rightfully theirs to others. And the goal of these systems is that everyone would share equally in wealth, and this is wrong because it is God who has distributed to everyone varying degrees of wealth. It's God who has given to your neighbor what he has and to you what you have. It's God who has determined the differences. Therefore, it is wrong for the government or for anyone else to take what God has given to you and give it to someone else. It's clear that God does not want us to all be equal in wealth. The fact of the matter is that when everything belongs to everyone, then nothing really belongs to anyone. And God has told us not to steal because you and I have things entrusted to us personally by him to which no one else has a right. Granted, we may not always like how God distributes wealth. It's maybe to us disturbing that it's distributed unevenly and uh, it's in our hearts to be jealous about the greater abundance that others have, but rather notice that rather than God saying that everyone should just distribute their wealth evenly, he says, do not steal. In other words, keep your sticky fingers to yourself. Let your neighbor have what he has, and what is implied is that you are to be content with what God has given you. This commandment requires us to bow the knee to God's decision concerning the, dis the distribution of wealth in this world. As we consider the facts that God owns all the wealth of this world and that he distributes to people as he wishes, we must also realize that he uses means in giving us his wealth. What is clear in scripture is that God wants us to acquire wealth his way. If we get wealth in other ways than in how he wants us to get wealth, then we are stealing so when God is telling us not to steal, he is essentially saying, I don't want you to get wealth by taking it from others, but there are ways that you are to get wealth. You are to get wealth the right way. So what is the right way? Well, in scripture, we find only four correct ways to obtain wealth uh, that I know of. Perhaps in your study of scripture, you might be able to come up with something else, but I believe there are only four correct ways. The first is by inheritance. It's evident, especially in the Old Testament, it's perfectly right for children to receive wealth from their parents. The second legitimate way to obtain wealth is by receiving it as a gift. If someone out of the goodness of their heart decides to give you a sum of money, it's perfectly okay to accept it. It would be okay, I believe, to take money from a sweepstakes. Uh, the third and most obvious way of obtaining wealth is in the way of labor, in the way of business. When you work, it's not stealing. When you receive a paycheck from an employer or from the sale of goods or of a product, and that money that is, is actually what is owed to you in exchange for what you did. If 
for what you've given. And if you've labored and you've provided a product, it would be stealing on the part of your employer or customer to refuse to pay you. The Lord wants us to labor. He wants us to use our gifts and abilities to their full potential. Now, he doesn't want you to work out of a love for money, but he does want us to work hard. He wants us to earn all that we reasonably can in order that once we have met our responsibilities at home, we can help the poor as well as to advance his kingdom on earth. And then the fourth legitimate way to obtain wealth is by investing it. There's no doubt that wisdom has to be exercised in all investing so that we avoid unnecessary risk. But it's certainly that investing is a principle that is certainly promoted in many of the Lord's parables, even if indirectly. Apart from these four ways of obtaining wealth, I don't know of any other legitimate way, which means we have to declare that everything else is stealing. And this would include gambling. Because in gambling, we're desiring to get something for practically nothing. And the attitude, the motivation taken all by itself is a breaking of the Eighth Commandment. We could go into it more, but um, our God, who alone owns the wealth of this world, who has the right to tell us how he wants us to get it, has not given us permission to acquire wealth through gambling. Labor, inheritance, gifts, investing, those are God's ways. What we really need in order to keep the Eighth Commandment outwardly and inwardly is contentment. Contentment with what we have. Contentment is the opposite of covetousness. Covetousness is the desire to be rich. It's, it's greed. That's at the very root of stealing. Rosinus, one of the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, he defined contentment this way. It's a Great definition, he says, contentment is a virtue by which we are satisfied and contented with our present possessions, which we have honestly acquired, and by which we quietly endure poverty and other inconveniences, not desiring what does not belong to us or what is unnecessary, end quote. Apostle Paul describes contentment in Philippians 4.11 this way, for I have learned in whatever state I am, to be content. So contentment is being victorious over our earthly circumstances. It's true we need earthly possessions. There's within our hearts a certain measure of desire for them that is perfectly legitimate. Uh, we can expect material possessions. We look for them. We strive to acquire them in the ways that God allows we all need clothing, we need food, we need shelter, we need the means to acquire these things, whether it's tools or education, um, even health. We crave a certain measure of health and strength so that we can do the labor necessary to meet our earthly needs. And what contentment is all about is having the right relationship between what we have and the desires of our hearts. It's about a proper balance between our circumstances and our hearts. And contentment, you can recognize it as existing when you are asked the question, well, do you have enough with just the necessities of life? And are you satisfied with having food and clothing and the means to acquire these things? And if you can answer yes, then that's a good sign that you are content. And so contentment is not about having an abundance of things, but it's about how you react to your circumstances. 
Another theologian, Hooksema, he defines contentment this way. He says, it is that state of mind in which we are able correctly to evaluate all earthly things, circumstances, and experiences, and correctly judging of their real significance and value to clearly perceive that we have just enough, that we have what we need. It's a state of profound inner satisfaction with all things, a state of constant tranquility and happiness. And what needs to be clearly understood is that contentment is not natural to us. Even as believers, we, we struggle with being content. And uh, if you're an unbeliever, it's not even possible at all for an unbeliever to be content. For, for contentment is a gift of grace. It's worked in the heart of the believer by the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of grace that's ultimately about finding your, your joy in life in God. When you know God in a love relationship as your savior from sin, you don't need anything else of this world to be content. In other words, contentment arises when you love God because you know God's love to you first in Jesus Christ. And when God's love first began to operate in your hearts, your eyes were opened to see your own sinfulness. That was grace. And it was also grace that convinced you that Christ crucified was your only hope for the forgiveness of your sins. And by a gracious work in your hearts, God has shown you and he has convinced you that he will forgive your sins through the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of his death on the cross. Because his death was a a, a gracious offering sacrifice in the place of sinners. And when you realize Christ's love for you personally, you will love him in return. And then you will want to do everything to his glory. And that, that everything includes how you acquire wealth, how you use material wealth. You're no longer, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not going to be seeking the things of this world in order to fill a void in your life. See, the world without Christ is always going to seek more material things, believing that it's going to bring contentment if I just have a little bit more. And man without Christ has a nature that longs for joy, that longs for inner satisfaction, but in a state of blind rebellion seeks the satisfaction apart from God. And so the worldling craves prosperity and then grumbles that he does not have it. And the more he has, the more he wants. And even if he were to have it all, he would still grumble because earthly things do not satisfy. And yet the lie of Satan and the deceit of riches is that if you have only a bit more, just a bit more, you'll finally reach that state of satisfaction. It's something that never happens. It's a lie. And knowing man's insatiable desire to have more of this world, is it any surprise that he steals? He's so consumed with this desire for wealth that he will stop at nothing to get it. Tricks, scheming, outright robbery and theft, whatever it takes to get as much of this world as quickly as possible. But things are different for the child of God. When you know God as your Savior in Jesus Christ, there's this satisfaction that takes place in your heart and your desires for wealth of this, for the, the wealth of this world, those desires are tempered so that you seek wealth for practical reasons and ultimately as a means to glorify God. 
and you understand that wealth is merely a way, it's a tool to meet the responsibilities that God has given you. And that's just the tip of the iceberg because your wealth can also be used to help the poor. It can also be used to help the spread of the gospel. You can use your money in ways that express your love for God and the neighbor. And though we have every reason then to be content, talking about us as believers, we have the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet we're not always content. To keep this eighth commandment, we have to, there, there has to be this battle that, that is waged within ourselves, a battle in the heart with the remnants of our sin nature. And in fighting this battle, you and I need to daily give over our lives, including our wealth, to God and to his will. And you need to remind yourselves even daily that what you have has been received from the hand of your Creator and Lord. You need to daily evaluate whether or not you are managing your earthly possessions as a good steward. Are you, first of all, acquiring wealth God's way? And then are you using your possessions to His glory? Are you wasting them? Are you misusing them? And you must, most of all, not allow material wealth to become the object of your affections. But always remember that your true reward is knowing Jesus Christ. This message ultimately means nothing. If your heart is not being drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's very easy for a sermon on uh, any of the commandments of God, but perhaps this one in particular, uh, for this just to be a moral lesson, um, just about how to live in a godly way. Um, Really, the goal is that we would see our sinfulness, that we would see that we really do, all of us, break this commandment because we're not content like we ought to be. We don't think of material wealth like we ought. Our hearts are often drawn to it, and so we need the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the point. We need the Lord Jesus Christ, and the good news is that when you go to the Lord Jesus with your sin, confess your sins and seek his forgiveness and his righteousness he grants you these things he gives you the power to obey the eighth commandment because he gives you himself he satisfies your heart he brings you into his fellowship and so it is that we as god's redeemed children who know god's gracious love we begin to think of our wealth differently. We handle it differently. We handle it God's way and to his glory because we're not looking for wealth to satisfy a void in our lives. It's just a tool. It's a gift of God's goodness. It reminds us yet again of God's grace. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, uh, we do thank you for material wealth that you have granted to each one of us. You have been gracious to us. You have been generous. You have met our needs. And uh, Father, we confess that we have not always been happy with the degree of wealth that you've granted us. We confess that. There's been greed. There's been jealousy that has arisen in our hearts. We confess, Father, that at times we have uh, imagined that the lie of the devil is true, that if we have just a bit more, we will be content, we will be happy. Father, forgive us. We thank you for this reminder that in having Christ, we have all that we need. And Lord, we pray that you would work in us even more and more clearly the recognition that in Christ, we have all that we want. 
And oh Lord, we pray that you would therefore give us the, the contentment that is at the very root of obedience to this commandment. Lord, we pray that we would be, um, Lord, uh, those who are in fact very generous with what has been granted to us, that we would see our wealth as a tool not only to meet our needs, but to help others. And to be, Lord, also used as a tool in spreading the gospel as we support missionaries, as we support the, the spread of your word. Lord, um, we thank you for this reminder of our need for Christ, as well as a reminder that we find in your word that indeed there is forgiveness. There's cleansing of all sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.